Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Numbers chapter 3. And in Numbers chapter 3, if you recall in the past chapters, we looked at the census of the camp of Israel and then also the layout of the land and the direction that the Lord gave. And now we're going to look at the camp of the Levites. And here in chapter 3, verse 1, says in verse 1, Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses, or the generations of Aaron and Moses. Remember, they're brothers, Aaron and Moses. It says, When the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest. Now the anointing here, you remember it's the consecrated, those who are set apart for God. We see examples in the Old Testament and also the New Testament of uh, consecration unto the Lord. And it also applies to you and me today, consecrated, people who are set apart. The New Testament refers to uh, uh, such people as saints. You know, I don't care what the Pope says. You know, the Pope, you know, they have this Roman Catholicism. And I speak as a former Roman Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. But, you know, the, there's this, uh, in accordance with Catholicism, there's this process for sainthood. Or biblically, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're abiding in Him. You're not under the law. The law is uh, 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 used wisely, what we studied in uh, Romans 7, how you can use the law, but use it wisely. You're not under the law. Um, you're a saint. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're an abider in Jesus Christ. You're a saint, biblically, despite what the Pope says. And so look what happens here in verse uh, 3. So the sons of Aaron, their anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. And these are things that we studied, if you recall our study in Exodus, when Moses was up on, on top of the mountain in the cloud. And, you know, the Lord is giving him all these blueprints blueprints of future events things that are going to happen the blueprints of how the lord desires things to be and now we've gone through leviticus here we're in numbers and we see you know a lot of these things that the lord to told moses they've come to pass already they've come to pass and so in verse 4 we see nadab and abihu had died before the lord when they offered profane fire before the lord in the wilderness of sinai and this is so sad because you see you know a lot of times parents rightfully so they have such love for their children which is beautiful to see but i have to say too that be careful when you know if you're a parent when your love of a child exceeds that of the Lord, you know, then you can enter into realms of idolatry. You, you know, and I, I don't want to speak negatively about your family. You know, I don't want to, you know, don't get this idea like, you know, like, wow, you know, does he not want good things for my family? Yes, I do want good things for your family. But, you know, Jesus Christ has to be preeminent, preeminent, not prominent, like one among many. You know, it's not Jesus Christ along with, you know, son number one, daughter number one, number, you know, child number two, child number three, four, five, six, whatever. You know, it's not prominence among many that you love. It's preeminence, meaning everything else is just way, way, way below Jesus Christ because he's exalted in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. 
And what happens, we see uh, in future chapters, we're going to see priests that kind of, they, not kind of, they want to be the friends of the kids instead of the parent. You know, they start to love the kids more than they love the Lord. And, you know, we're going to see it hardcore when we get into um, um, uh, 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 Eli, the priest, and his wicked sons. And you're going to see what the Lord does. He kills them. He takes their lives. It's not that they were not given opportunity to repent because they had plenty of opportunity. But then at the same time, you see the principle of the preeminence of the Lord, which is a choice that every single person has to make. So my exhortation to parents, you know, love your kids. It's, it's beautiful to see. I, I love it when I see that. You know, a dad loving on his kids, a mom loving on her kids, and you see it, and it's so beautiful to witness. But my uh, exhortation to parents, maybe a little hint of warning, is don't let your love for your kids exceed your love for the Lord. Be very careful with that. Sometimes you might have to repent. You might have to repent. Uh, and so, you know, we see that Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire before the Lord. You know, the Lord gave his blueprints. The Lord gave his instruction. And they didn't carry it out. Now you can say like, whoa, that is hardcore. The Lord took their life. Well, it's not to say that they were without opportunity for repentance. Because, you know, the fear of the Lord was already uh, inside of them. But then, you know, we look at the, the golden calf. You know what happened there? You know, the fear of the Lord in the camp of Israel. But you see, the fear of the Lord can be something that dissipates in the course of time. I wish that weren't the case, but it is the case. We see it. And sometimes even in our own lives, you know, the fear of the Lord at one point in our lives might be like so like, wow, Lord, I fear you. I'm not going to mess around with this. And then in the course of time, something happens where we start to fall asleep. We fall asleep at the wheel. It's like, wow, Lord, you know, I don't fear you anymore. That's not a good place to be. You know, always have the love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. Remember, the two work together. The love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. The two work together, just like a gas pedal and a brake pedal inside a car. And so that's what happened with Nadab and Abihu. They just got into the minutia of temple activity or tabernacle activity rather than understanding the purpose of what the Lord wanted to do. They just figured, oh, okay, yeah, there's just this fire here on a pan. Here, let's just do like this. No big deal. But it's a big deal in the eyes of the Lord. Let it be a big motivation for pastors and elders and Bible teachers and youth leaders to help us with our own level of fear of the Lord. And I don't like saying level of fear of the Lord because it should be the utmost. It should be very, very high. And if it's not, you know, pray about it. Let it get to that point. Because remember, as Paul told the church in Corinth, all these things written of old that we're studying today, they were written for our admonition, our warning. For you and me to understand the fear of the Lord. And that's what happened with Nadab and Abihu, sons of the high priest, Aaron. And so look what happens here. And they had no children. So they, they died in the wilderness of Sinai. And then they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. And I love this so much because, you know, it's sad what happens to Aaron. 
because his his kids were taken by the Lord. And we had, if you recall our study when that happened, when we studied that, you see a little passage that we we took a little time out to study Aaron, to study Aaron. And look, it's like you know how there's a moment of the task at hand, but then at the same time, it's not to ignore the heart and grieve for his children. Because you see Aaron like, wow, this is so beautiful. Even in light of the choices of his children. Now I say this as words of encouragement to parents. Because I've seen parents before. I've talked with parents, dads and moms, grandparents, who grieve for their children. Grieve and cry for their children. And I together with them. Oh, my son's on drugs. My daughter's on drugs. You know, my daughter's sexually active. My daughter's pregnant. My son is sexually active. They're not married. And it's like all these things, sex, drugs, rock and roll. My grandson, my granddaughter, my parent, you know, or not parents, but you know, they're just the parents or grandparents that just weep for their, you know, those under them, generationally speaking. And I say this as words of encouragement to you, if that's you, if you're a, a mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you know, pray for your children, pray for your grandbabies, pray for your great, great, great grandbabies. I don't care how old you are. You know, a lot of times you have people, they uh, speak negatively about old churches, people, churches that have a bunch of white hair and gray hair and wrinkly faces. And, you know, I know a guy who's, you know, he went to a church, he was a elder, and he goes to a church as like a guest speaker and he tells the church, this church is dead. Like as a fool. To tell a church full of old people, this church is dead. Why? Because they have no young people. Is that why? The church isn't dead. Now it's possible for a church to die. But you know what's so beautiful? When the Lord spoke to Moses and Moses was like, you know, Lord, who, who do I tell them sent me? And the Lord tells him, tell them I am who I am. And then, like, Lord, where do I go? And then the Lord gives him instruction. Don't go to the young people. Don't try to be cool and wear your skinny jeans and do your hair like a rock star and speak with your rock star voice. He says, no, Moses, go to the old people. Go to the old people, the elders of Israel. Now, there were no elders in terms of, like, the, the blueprints that Moses received. This is very, very early on when the Lord told Moses to go back to Egypt. And the Lord told him, go to the elders. So he wasn't speaking about the elders in terms of like a, 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 a leadership. He was speaking of the elders in terms of the old people. The gray-haired people, the white-haired people, the wrinkly-faced people. And the Lord is saying, go to these people. There's something new that's going to begin in Israel with the Jews. There's something brand new that's going to start with the, with Israel and it's going to begin with the old people. You see, he doesn't say go to the younger generation. So if you're in the older echelon of the church, be of good cheer. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. Pray for your great-grandkids. Pray for them. Intercede for them. You know, even if they don't call or write or anything. Pray for them. Be on your knees for them. Be on your face before the Lord for them. Might take a while to get up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, a senior citizen yet. I feel like it. 
But, wow, every time I pray, it's harder to get up, you know, because it's like, wow, you know, you realize uh, your, uh, your state, you know. Praise be to the Lord because we can look forward to our glorified bodies. And so you might be an 80-year-old getting on your face before the Lord, and it takes you an hour to get up, and then you're sore. But praise be to the Lord. Let your, let your sore bones testify of the f- future glory we're going to have in Christ Jesus. So pray for the next generation. And what's so beautiful now, if you're a young kid, you know, and you see like, you know, be of good cheer too, because look what happens when uh, in verse four, we see Eleazar and Ithamar minister as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So it's the next generation. It's still the same generation of, of children, but it's, it's the next generation in terms of where the Lord is honored. You know, you might be a kid in a house of uh, three siblings, four siblings, five siblings, I don't know, two siblings. And you're a kid and you're like, wow, you know, nobody's honoring the Lord. Am I, you know, am I all, all alone in honoring the Lord? And you know what? If you are all alone, who cares? Who cares? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Just like we studied on Sunday. I mean, you know, you talk to young kids and I've had these conversations with young teenagers and then that, you know, like 10 years old, 11, 12, and they see their older brothers, older sisters, you know, they become teenagers and they start to go hang out with their friends instead of going to park with their younger brother, younger sister, they start to hang out with their friends and then the kid turns 18, starts to get into crazy lifestyles and then here you got this, you know, 13-year-old kids like, man, you know, what's happening to my brother? What's happened to my sister? What's happening? How come they don't play with me anymore? How come they don't do they don't acknowledge me anymore? How come they're not walking with the Lord anymore? I just love the Lord and my brother hates me. I just love the Lord and my sister hates me. You know what? If God is for you, who can be against you? Be of good cheer because look what happens here. You have the next generation of righteousness. Eleazar and Ithamar. And how beautiful it is to see this. Now, it's sad that, you know, uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu died. The Lord took their lives. And let this be encouragement for you to be a fisherman, a fisherwoman, a fisherboy, a fisher girl of your siblings. One time I was talking to a kid, you know, where all his family was Catholic, Roman Catholic, you know. And the dad was very a violent person. And they have all these idols in their home. And the kid became a Christian. He became a Christian. He believes in Jesus Christ. And I was talking to him. He was like, man, you know, I feel so bad because, you know, I don't do this. I don't go and I I don't do all these things that, you know, I don't go, uh, you know, shout on the rooftops about Jesus Christ. But to encourage this young kid and say, look, let your mission field be under your roof. You know, when you pray, when you, when you have dinner, when you have a meal with your family, pray. Just say, hey, pops, can I pray? You know, and dad says, yes. Okay, pray. You know, thank the Lord for your meal and pray in the name of Jesus. You know, be the, law, the light, be the salt in your home and preach the good news. Let your feet be beautiful in your own home because you can win souls to Christ. The souls of your mom, your dad, your siblings. You see, sometimes the mission field is right under your roof. Because biblically speaking, remember the family division that our Lord spoke of? In the family division that, uh, in, uh, I'm just going to 
refer to it really quick in in Matthew 10 verse 36 a man's enemies will be those of his own household those of his own household you see so under a roof sometimes you're going to have non-believers underneath your own roof and I say this if you're a sibling you know if you're a child in a home because sometimes you feel all alone like wow you know you know, dad's gone off to crazy town, mom's in crazy town, my brother's in crazy town, my sister's in crazy town. What in the world is happening? But be of good cheer. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Let God be true and every man a liar. And be a fisherman for your family. And so look what happens here. In verse um, 5, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. You know, it's so interesting to see family dynamics. You know, we see family dynamics here in the Old Testament, but to see family dynamics just in, in the early church, and then also to see family dynamics with our day-to-day -day life today. You see all kinds of different family dynamics, but then at the same time, each and every person has a personal choice to make. Where will the Lord find honor? I pray it's with you. I pray it's with me for all the days of our lives. You see? And so we see this, this uh, how the Lord is giving these instructions for the, uh, the numbering of the Levites. And he tells Moses, he says, bring the uh, uh, tribe of Le Levite near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation. Now, translationally speaking, this word for needs in the Hebrew, it's not as a slave. It's not like ministering like a waiter. You know, it's ministering um, not as a slave, but as a guard to protect as a guard to protect. And so a lot of times in the Hebrew, when we study the Old Testament, I'll make mention of this, but when we see these attending to the needs, it's not like, you know, the, the, the priest has like a, uh, um, like a servant class to like, you know, uh, polish his shoes or, you know, iron his clothes, nothing like that at all. There is servitude unto the priest, but then you have to look at the priest too and see what is this priest doing? Is he like an Aaron or is he like an Eli? Eli being the bad example, the poor example. Aaron being the beautiful example. And this is a hardcore message for pastors too. Because a lot of times pastors get on their high horses. And they think like, oh yeah, everybody has to submit to me because I'm the pastor. Everybody has to submit to me. And then you see churches where they treat the pastor like, wow, you know, you, you, you're kind of going overboard in how you treat your pastor. And I don't say that to, you know, disrespect your pastor. I'm not saying that at all. But remember, your pastor is just a man. You say, oh, it's okay. My pastor's a woman. That's, that's even worse. Yeah, that's, that's even worse. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not into the four square model. You know, and so you see these uh, uh, passages in Scripture where, you know, there's attending to the needs of the uh, church leadership. But I like Paul's model. Paul's model, which aligns with Scripture. Because when you see these in the Hebrew, attending to the needs of the Levites, they shall attend to his needs, Aaron's needs, and the needs of the whole congregation. It's more of a guarding and a protective needs in terms of protecting, like protecting the sheep, protecting the flock of God. 
you're a pastor, you know, your congregation isn't a slave class, you know, to serve your needs. Now, there is elements of like a, a servant class, but it's unto the Lord. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the head of the church. But remember, when you read the Gospels, you know, when Jesus Christ refers to the disciples, he says, you know, as servants, you know, you guys are my fellow servants. But then you keep reading and he says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because of a friend doesn't wonder what the master is doing. The friend automatically knows. So you see this transition from servant to friend, just like we read in the Bible, friend of God. You see, it's that transition from servant to uh, friend. That's not to say a friend of, of the Lord is not a servant. But a friend of the Lord is a friend of the Lord. And if the Lord directs the path, uh, just like he did with, does with Peter, just like he did with Paul, yes, they're serving the Lord as bond servants, but then at the same time, they're still friends of the Lord. Same exact concept for you and me today. Nothing changes. Same exact concept. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And so look what happens here. This In verse 7, uh, as this protective, the needs of, of, of Aaron and the needs of the whole congregation, it's more as a guarding and protective manner. It says, before the tabernacle of meeting, to do the work of the tabernacle. And most of the time in the Old Testament, when you hear, see the word tabernacle, it is ohel, ohel in the Hebrew. But a very smaller reference to tabernacle, here it's Mishkan in the Hebrew. And it translates when it says here, the work of the tabernacle, it translates as the work of a bondservant in the shepherd's residence. You see how beautiful that is? Wow, talk about a shadow of the things to come. A work of a bondservant in the shepherd's residence. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. What about you? What about me for all of our days? Let this be a great encouragement for us today. And not just today, but for all our days. Wow, Lord, I want to be a bondservant. I want to be a bondservant in, you know, in your residence, Lord, in the house of God. In whatever capacity it is. You know, let it be a form of encouragement to us. To see this special people, this special calling. Set apart, consecrated, and anointed into the service of the Lord. And so notice what happens here in verse 8. <clears throat> it says, Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs, remember this is guard and protect, of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. You see how beautiful this is? To do the work of the tabernacle. And in the Hebrew, it's uh, uh, abodah, abodah, mishkan. That's how it is in the Hebrew. And what it means is to be, you know, it's, it's the abodah, abodah, mishkan. It's to be that bondservant in the shepherd's house. Bondservant. You see, Old Testament, straight up numbers. And referring to bondservanthood and service unto the Lord. You know, something that just blows me away right here. You see in verse 7 how, you know, like in verse 6, that the, the, uh, uh, bring them uh, before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him and they shall attend to his needs. There's something I have to say about Aaron. 
Turn with me really quick to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And I don't want to harp on the past or anything. Because this is the past now in the life of Aaron. But in Exodus chapter 32 verse 1. Look what's happening here. Verse 1. Now when the people saw that. This is when Moses is uh, uh, receiving the blueprints from the Lord. He's on the mountain. And Joshua is with them on the mountain. But something is happening in the camp of Israel. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that we sh- that shall go before us. For as, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. See, notice here the people, no acknowledgement of the Lord. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, instead of saying the Lord who brought us out of the, the, the land of Egypt. They say Moses did it. We do not know what has become of him. Remember, Moses uh, is receiving the blueprints. He's been on the mountain for 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. It says here in verse 2, And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. This is Aaron. Aaron. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Notice what's happening with Aaron now. He's being obedient to to man. He's fearing man instead of fearing God. He's loving man instead of loving God. That's why, you know, as the Lord teaches, love God and love people. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then love people. How beautiful that model is. But don't let people become over God. You see that a lot where people become man-pleasers. And I know pastors and elders and Bible teachers who don't want to hurt people's feelings. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm not going to teach about judgment. I'm not going to teach from Revelation because it's too scary. People might leave. And these passages here, if I know somebody in the body is, you know, going through some, you know, there's some sin in their lives. I'm just going to skip these passages because I want them to feel good. I don't want them to feel bad. Well, listen, you know. The Word of God will make you feel bad if you're carnal. The more carnal you are, the more convicted you'll be. The less carnal you are, the more comfort you'll have in the Lord, in the Word. That's just part of the holy recipe that the Lord has. And you can see it because, you know, sometimes when you feel carnality on the rise in your own heart, in your own mind, you open up the Bible, you start reading, and it's like, whoa, that is hardcore. Whoa, you feel like a knife in your heart. And praise be to the Lord because the the, the word of the Lord is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's you and me that have to yield to the word of God, not the other way around. Not make the, the word of God yield to you. That's satanic. That's demonic. That's what Satan tried to do. Read it, Isaiah 14. You know, and it just blows me away so much because look at what's happening with Aaron here. He's a man pleaser. The people say, "Hey, Aaron, you know, uh, you know, make us this." Uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, or Aaron is the one who says, "Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of the wives, your son, your daughters, and bring them to me." You see, they tell him in verse one of chapter thirty-two, Exodus, "Come, make us gods that shall go before us," because as for this Moses guy. 
Look what Aaron is doing. You read this, you're like, Aaron, what's happening? What are you doing? Number one, you shouldn't even be in the camp of Israel. You should have been like halfway up the mountain like he told you to stay. With the elders. Except no, somehow you found your way back to the camp. Somehow you were seduced to come back to the, the, the base camp. In verse 3, so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And you see here how, how obedient the people are to a man pleaser. Very interesting about people too, the nature of people. Because what happens when uh, a, a so-called pastor you know, tickles the ears of a congregation? Oh yeah, we love this guy. We're just going to keep listening to what he says. He tells jokes. He makes us laugh. But you know, I don't like to feel convicted. I don't like to come to church and feel conviction. Let me be the first to admit, I read my Bible and I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's like, well, you know, 25 years ago, it was for like big ticket items. But now you might say like, oh, that's no big deal. But for me, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I pray that it becomes a big deal for all of us in the body of Christ. Because the Lord is doing a work inside of us. We're in these corrupt bodies today. But tomorrow, we won't be. You know, have regard for our predestination have regard for our destiny, just as we studied on Sunday. And so look what happens here. All the people, they're serving the man-pleaser. They're serving him. All the, so they didn't want to wait for Moses. Moses says, here, wait here. They didn't want to do that. But now they have a guy who's tickling their ears. Sure, we'll be obedient to what you say. Because you're going to tickle our ears. We want you to make this, uh, make us uh, gods that shall go before us. And you say, you say you're going to do it. You, you want our gold? Sure, here's our gold. Yeah. You're going to do exactly what we want. Aaron's a man pleaser. And the people are following. The guy who's tickling their ears. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. They, then they said, this, then, then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wow. So first of all, they say Moses brought them out of Egypt. Now they're saying the golden calf is their God that brought them out of Egypt. Whoa. Verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. You see, it's like they have a total, their concept of the Lord is completely and totally discombobulated. It's out of whack. It's off into crazy town. Because you could read, you could read the end of verse 5. You say, okay, Aaron says tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. You could read that and be like, wow, praise the Lord. But in context, when you read the prior verses, like what in the world is happening? Because you have proper context. In verse 6, then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, when we studied this, if you recall our study, there were there's a set major sexual connotations here. When rose up to play. They played all right. And verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down. So back up on the mountain where Moses is having his intimacy with the Lord and receiving instructions, the blueprints. And the Lord speaks to Moses. says, Go go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Tells you a little bit about, about the mind of our Lord. 
Wow, these people don't even want to acknowledge me. Okay, Moses, your people are not my people. They're your people, Moses. Wow, you see. But remember how the Lord is reactionary. He is reactionary. The people say to the golden calf, this is my God. And so the Lord responds, okay, you're not my people. Moses, these are your people. The Lord is reactionary, you see. Now we fast forward to verse uh, 17. And when Joshua, so Moses, Moses comes down to the mountain. He, he comes out of the cloud. And who does he see right there? Joshua. Joshua. Beautiful, beautiful Joshua. And when Joshua, so they're coming down the mountain in verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of, or, or, of the shout of victory, nor the noise, noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets of, out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered, on the, he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you? Do to you? that you have brought so great a sin upon them. Wow. You see, Aaron was supposed to be like a, a bulwark for the people. He was supposed to be a stronghold for the people. He was supposed to be on guard in protection of the people. And then Moses, or Aaron, Moses asked Aaron, what did they do to you? That you have brought so great a sin upon them. Because you weren't able to work, because you weren't on guard, because you weren't protective of the people, you, Aaron, have brought so great a sin upon them. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Now he blames the people. You see? No ownership. No ownership whatsoever. You ever see people like that? They play the blame game? That's one of my pet peeves. Nobody wants to take ownership. It's one of my pet peeves even more so among the pastors and elders. Oh, it's not my fault. It's this guy's fault. It's not my fault. It's this lady's fault. It's not my fault. It's this person. Look, what are you talking about? Are you, are you not on guard? Are you not in a protective posture for the camp? Outside the camp, just as we studied in uh, Acts 20. Outside the camp, what is your posture? Have you become a wolf? You see, don't forget, shepherds can become wolves. Biblically speaking, what Paul warned about, Acts 20. And so look what happens here. You've brought so great a sin upon him, and then Aaron plays the game, blame game. Yeah, the people, they're set on evil. Verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. So he lied too. He lies. He just says, yeah, I took their gold, threw it in the fire and boom, this calf came. No, that's a lie. Because in verse four, we see that he fashioned it. He built it. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, unrestrained, translates as naked, 
uncovered. They were laid bare, exposed. And look what how verse 25 says, For Aaron had not restrained them. You see? Aaron said nothing. That's the danger. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a youth leader, and you're a man pleaser, or you fear man more than you fear God, or you love man more than you love God, you're going to be like Aaron. Here, you're going to be like this Aaron in Exodus. This particular chapter. That's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be at all. Now, if you're a pastor, oh, but I didn't know. Well, why, if you didn't know, why are you a pastor then? I didn't know the Bible said that. Why are you a pastor then? Are you a novice? What the Bible warns not to be? Are you a novice, oh pastor? Are you a novice, oh elder? You see? You have people in leadership roles in church, you know, uh, supposedly supposed to protect the flock of God. But they're not protecting the flock of God. Their posture is not a guard and protective posture. And that's the, po the posture of a pastor. The posture of an elder is to be on guard. Not just to confront the wolf, but to kill the wolf. Metaphysically speaking, slay the wolf. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You have to know the Bible for that to happen. You see? And not just knowledge, but the application of the word wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. These are things that Paul teaches on Peter, James, Jude, the prophets of the Old Testament. What happened with Aaron? He wanted to be a man pleaser. He feared the people. And then he blames the people. But we see here in verse 25, Aaron had a responsibility to restrain them. Hey, what are you guys doing? Why are you saying this? Moses said he was going to come down. He's receiving these instructions from the Lord. He's going to be here. Don't do this. You know, you want me to make a calf for you? Repent. I'm not going to do that. I fear the Lord. Do you not fear the Lord? You repent. You know, the husband says, oh, but my wife says she wants a golden calf. So? What if, you know, tell her to repent. You see? You have to make a stand. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a youth leader, you have to make a stand. Look what happens with Aaron here. He says, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. You see? Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Exclamation point. You see, Moses was on guard. Moses had a protective posture. If, you're, if you want to be with the Lord, you guys come over here. Exclamation point. You see? Now, you... I don't want to, you know, harp on the past. But what I love so much about this chapter, chapter 32, it breaks my, it's kind of like an emotional roller coaster for me. Because I love it, I hate it, it breaks my heart, it makes me sad. It's like, whoa. But then it all, I'm also hopeful. And I'm also very, very encouraged. You know why? Repentance. 
repentance. Aaron, he repented. And as a result of his repentance, what do we have? Restoration from the Lord. Let's go back to our study in Numbers. He's high priest now. This guy that we studied, that we looked at in Exodus 32, this guy who'd done like such wild things, wild abominations before the Lord, the golden calf fashioning it. This is the guy, Lord, that you want to use? This is the guy that you want to be high priest? Yes, absolutely. Why? Repentance. Why? It's not Aaron doing it. It's the Lord doing it. You see? That's what's so beautiful about repentance. You look at Aaron's past, and then now we see his future in Numbers 3. Numbers 3. Look at verse 6 again. Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that he may that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation. You see? And not needs like, you know, hey, go make me a sandwich. You know, hey, go make me some, you know, turkey. Go make me some, you know, uh, 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 arroz con pollo. You know, nothing like that at all. It's to say, wow, you know what? I need your help with this. I need your help with this. Why? Because we're ministering to God's people. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Why? Because there's this family there in sin. And we need to do all this work so that we can, uh, you know, do the process so their sin can be atoned for. So if you're a pastor, you think, oh yeah, I'm a shot caller. No, the shot caller is Jesus Christ. He calls the shots. And when you ask people to help you, Number one, tell them why. I say, oh yeah, I, I need you to help me uh, uh, do this because uh, I can get a new car. I need you to help me do this so that I can pay off my mortgage. I need you to help me do this so I can grow my church. We're a seeker-friendly church. We're part of the church growth movement. No, forget that. that you know, that's, that's carnal thinking. Forget all that garbage. What's the focal point? for people to be right with the Lord. Hey, brother, I need your help over here. How come, pastor? Look, there's this family. They're in, like, you know, the husband's in sin. And, you know, I need your help because we're going to talk to him and, you know, we're going to pray for him. You see? Or there's this kid who's going through some issues. Hey, sister, come over here. What's up, pastor? Well, you know, there's this other sister over here. She's going through marital problems. And, you know, we're just we're going to pray for her and, you know, let's talk to her. It's for people to be right with the Lord, to have peace with the Lord. Because a byproduct of peace with the Lord is peace in the heart, peace in the mind. So if you're a pastor, you think you're a shot caller, you need to repent because you're not the shot caller. Jesus Christ is a shot caller. You see, he calls the shots. You need to, you know, go on hiatus for a little bit. Get your heart right with the Lord. And praise be to the Lord because look at Aaron. You read these atrocities in Exodus 32. And if you're like me, it's like you're like shouting at Aaron. Like, Aaron, what are you doing? What are you doing, Aaron? Weeping at Aaron. Aaron, what are you doing? Why, Aaron? Why eat this golden calf? Why? Why do you not fear the Lord? 
Why do you not love the Lord? And then yet you read, you know, pages and pages and pages and pages and chapters and books. We go from Exodus to Leviticus and now we're in Numbers. And you see a different Aaron. What happened? How is he different? Why is he different? Repentance. And now you have restoration. Restoration is a byproduct of repentance, my friends. Understand that. And so look what happens here. I don't want to harp on the past. You know why? Because in Christ, in Christ and only in Christ, past is prologue. That's all it is. It is forgotten. And so look what happens here in verse 8. It says also, this is about the, the Levites. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And that's where we see the Obadah, Obadah, Mishkan, which is as a bondservant in the shepherd's house. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They, uh, they are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So we look at Aaron's fall in Exodus 32. Now we see his restoration. You see repentance and his restoration. And you don't see pride. You don't see pride. You see, he learned the fear of the Lord. Pride. Let me tell you something about pride. Pride, and I tell you from experience, pride will keep you from your knees. Pride will keep you from your knees, but humility will not. Remember that. And so look what happens here in verse 10. You shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Now this word for outsider is, you see references to outsider in Leviticus and even Exodus. And that's like the stranger, like um, a sojourner. But this word for outsider is a different word, and it's a person who is almost like that strange fire. It's the same word. To strange, profane, and adulterous. Strange, profane, and adulterous. And the Lord is saying, he who comes near that's like that, that kind of outsider, who's strange, profane, and adulterous, shall be put to death. Because if you remember in our study in Leviticus, you see the intent of the Lord through the law, in the law and through the law. You see the intent of the Lord. And you also see the desire of the Lord for people to be right with Him, for people to have peace with Him, for their sins to be atoned for, for them to have a covering. You see the intent and you see the desire of the Lord for the people to have that, for Israel to have that. And whatever is strange, profane, and adulterous among the priests Need not apply, so to speak. Need not apply, so to speak. It's not for the carnal. It's not for the profane. Old Testament and New Testament. You know, you ever talk to non-believers? I don't want to be a Christian. I want nothing to do with Christianity. How come? Well, I know that I saw that pastor in the news and he raped this girl. He molested this teenager. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go to that church. I don't blame him. I don't blame anybody that says they don't want to go to church because of that. 
If I was a non-believer, who, who would? I'm a believer and I wouldn't want to go to church like that. Pastors, I know head pastors. They try to save face. They try to save face. A, 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 a youth leader is caught in major, major sexual sin. And instead of the pastor calling the police, instead of the pastor getting things right, legally speaking, and I shouldn't even say it like that, getting things right with the Lord, getting things right with the Lord and calling the cops, the first thing they think about is how are we going to save face? You know, all people are going to leave the church. You know what? If people leave the church as a result, good for them. Good for them. Because remember Bethel? How beautiful Bethel is in Genesis. And what happens to Bethel when we read the Minor Prophets? The Lord says, don't go to Bethel. How beautiful Bethel was. What happened to Bethel? Just like we mentioned on Sunday, how beautiful Jerusalem was and what happened to Jerusalem when we looked at Leviticus, referencing Jeremiah. What happened to Jerusalem? Now, what's so beautiful about Jerusalem is we know what's going to happen to Jerusalem in a good way, restoration. You see, because the Lord is, the Lord will fulfill His promises. What about you? What about me? Restoration. But it all comes from repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. Being born again. And so, you know, I like to think of like a car. If you open the hood of a car and you start to work on it and you see like there's some defunct thing, whatever it is. Say, okay, this is messed up. You know, you open up your phone. You say, I need to buy a new one of these. And you go to Amazon. You know, you do a search on Amazon. Oh, this is the cheapest one. Let me buy this. But what you don't know is it's cheap metal made in China. You know, it's cheap metal made in wherever in the world. Cheap steel. It's, you know, diluted. It's not like, you know, it's not strong grade. Oh, but it was cheap. Okay, you pay cheap, you get cheap. So you get the part in the mail. You think, wow, look at all the money I saved. Cool, I got this cheap part. That's fine. That's cool. You stick it in your car. Everything's good to go. Close the hood. You drive away. And like two weeks later, it busts. Why? You bought cheap parts. You bought cheap parts. It's to open up that hood. Acknowledge, wow, this is a cheap part. You know what you do with it? You throw it away. Why? Because it's cheap. It's corrupt. It's profane and strange so to speak so you get rid of it that's what I like to think about the car's not functioning properly why? because there's something strange and profane and yes adulterous about this car part but the Lord has the same mentality I'm at Metaphysically speaking, you open up the hood of the camp of Israel. And you have priests with all the cogs, you know, everything working inside under the hood. All the priests have a functionality. But then you have a couple parts, Nadab and Abihu. Something's wrong with these guys. They're profane. 
something strange and profane and yes, adulterous about them. The Lord is not honored with them. So what happens? The Lord kills them. He took their lives. Instead of them, you know, they offered profane fire and the fire of the Lord consumed them. You see? And I don't, you know, we're New Covenant believers. You know, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the Lord's going to kill you. The Lord's going to take your life. But I also don't want to say that the Lord isn't going, because, you know, we're all going to stand before the Lord one day. So I don't want to make it sound like, okay, you know, it's Christmas time. You're going to light a fire and boom, the fire's going to consume you. But I also don't want to say that there are not repercussions for the choices we make. You say, oh, I don't want to hear that because it instills fear in me. Good. It instills fear in me too. <laughs> it freaks me out. <laughs> you know, I read, I'm a pastor. You know, I read passages like this. It freaks me out. You know, and praise be to the Lord. Because I got a big fat brake pedal in my car. You see? Big fat brake pedal. Let us be a people that has big fat brake pedals in our cars. You see? And big fat gas pedals in our cars too. Praise be to the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, in verse 12, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites. Now remember, if you recall our study, let me just stir the cup a little bit. If you remember our studies from Hebrews 7 in verse 9 through 10, we see that the Levitical priests of the Levites, they were in the loins of Abraham. You see, that's why you hear me say, men, men have regard for your seed. I mean, if you remember our study in Leviticus about semen, I don't want to get off topic, but have regard for your seed, men. You know, there's this big problem in the church today. It's called pornography. Pornography, sexual immorality. You know, everybody's got their smartphones, everybody's got their computers, everybody's got their whatever devices. Back in the day, you could be dirty, but you'd have to drive out, you know, drive out of your home and drive to a place, you know, the little dirty shop. But now it's right in your home. Wives, be like Zipporah. If that's your husband, get rid of the computer. Get rid of it. Now, you know, I know wives, they say, oh yeah, I put my computer in an open spot. Forget that. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Take a hammer. Take a sledgehammer to it. Oh, but you know, I paid a thousand. Paid like you know, three thousand dollars, five thousand dollars for this fancy computer. That's nice. You tell me your soul is worth five thousand dollars. Your soul is worth two thousand. Oh, I got you know Cyber Monday deal is worth five hundred. Your soul is worth five hundred bucks. Oh man. So wives be like Zipporah. Be like a warrior woman, you know? I love the warrior women. It's so cool. Because you see, like, it, how Zipporah, how she saved her husband. Remember, the Lord wanted to kill Moses because he broke the law. And beautiful Zipporah interceding for her husband. And so look what happens here. In verse uh, 12, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites, who were, by the way, in the loins of Abraham. He says, From among the children of Israel... Instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel, therefore the Levites shall be mine. 
You see, these are people who are on guard and protectors of the people, protectors of Israel. Obada, Obada, Mishkan. Remember, bond servants in the shepherds, in the shepherd's house. You see, look at the bond servants in the shepherd's house in accordance to the new covenant, such as Paul, such as Peter, and the words that they wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. At the direction of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, Because all of the all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by, the father's, by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. This is wild. A month old and above. I love this so much. Because here you have among the Levites, a very special people. A very, very, very special people. These are the uh, Obadah, Obadah, Mishkan people. Bond servants in the shepherd's house, garters and protectors of Israel, spiritually speaking, Levitically speaking, ensuring that the camp of Israel is right with the Lord, that they have peace with the Lord, that they have a covering of the Lord over them, atonement for their sins. And in the previous census, in the previous chapters, in Numbers 1, what do you have? You have uh, people who were able to go to war, but it was from 20 years old and above. In Numbers chapter 1, all these mighty, mighty warriors aged 20 and above. 20 is a good age for a warrior. 25 is a good age for a warrior. 30, that's eh, okay. 40, eh, that's, you know... That's when I start to question things, you know, and I say that as a guy in my 40s. Now, you have some old codgers that, you know, still handle business, you know, and praise the Lord. But 20 and above in the camp of Israel. Now, you walk through the camp of Israel, you're like, wow, look at all these guys. Wow, these are some warriors. And then, you know, you get to the camp of the Levites. What do you see? A little one, one month old. <laughs> you see? A little one month old. Two months old, five months old, eight months old, two-year-old, three-year-old. You see, in Israel, all these guys who were able to go to war and fight. And you know what? You what, what gets them? What is their biggest enemy is themselves because idolatry comes in. And then you know how beautiful it is when we get to the second census, the second generation. It's going to blow you away. It's going to blow you away and how beautiful. That's the generation that passes through the promised land. So we're walking through the camp of Israel, going through all the tribes, uh, you know, the, 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 the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Asher, you know, the tribe of Benjamin. All these people are like, wow, that's a big guy. Wow, these Benjamites are huge. You know, all the tribe of Simeon, eh, they're, you know, they're kind of big, but not as big as Benjamites. Wow, they're huge. And then you get to the camp of the Levites. <laughs> you see these little children. Ten-year-old, nine-year-old. You see, one month old. Like, like in a stroll, in a, baby, in a little basket. It's like, what? And I love it so much. I'm so in love with verse 15. 
because it says in verse 15, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. You see? Very, very special people. You, you analyze the census. You know, you look at the census, like you look at chapter 1, and then you get to chapter 3, you see 20-year-olds, you know, big strapping guys. You might have a little a couple of pipsqueaks in there. But then you get to the Levites, and you see little babies. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Let's be a great encouragement for parents. A great encouragement for parents. And don't use youth as an excuse. You know, sometimes, you know, you talk to parents like, oh, yeah, it's about, he's just one years old. You can't expect much from a one-year-old. Oh, he's just two. You can't expect much from a two-year-old. And I get that, you know. I've seen one-year-olds behave. I've seen two-year-olds behave. Sometimes I question the parents, too, you know. like You ever read the verse about the rod, you know? Parents don't like to spank their kids anymore. A bunch of millennials, they don't want to spank their kids. I'm not talking about, you know, beating your kids to a bloody pulp. But, you know, you spare the rod, you're going to pay for it. But don't use youth as an excuse. Oh, he's just two years old. You can't can't expect much from a two-year-old. Because what happens? You get into that mindset. Oh, he's just one. He's just two. He's just five. He's just 10. He's just 15. He's just 20. He's just 30. You can't expect much from him. He's just 30. And you look at the 30-year-olds nowadays. What in the world's happening? You know, you look at the 28-year-olds, 23-year-olds. What in the world? They're like little children, little two-year-olds. You know, one time I was talking to a millennial feminist. You know, and she's like telling me all these things. It's like, look, I'm not your dad. I see how you talk to your dad. That's not me. You see? Oh, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this. Well, the, the Bible, let's open up the Bible. The Bible, look, the Bible. What you don't believe, the Bible says you should believe. And what you do believe, the Bible says you shouldn't believe. What the Bible says you shouldn't follow, you are following. You see, it's like, you know, how the Lord teaches us in the Word to make the right choices. He teaches us. But the question is, do I want to walk according to the flesh or do I want to walk according to the Spirit? How dead are we? How dead am I? And I never want to come off as like teaching or preaching at you. Because I want to stress I've done this by experience. I tell you these things. I've walked in the flesh. I've walked like hardcore in the flesh. And I've paid the price for it. And now the Lord has sent me back to Egypt to tell you a message. That He loves you. And He wants you to choose Him. He wants you to walk with Him. And He wants to walk with you. But the problem is the carnal nature. The problem is sin. And you have to die. You have to die. You have to carry your cross to your death. You have to die more and more every day. Death to self. Metaphysically speaking, I'm not advocating suicide. But I am advocating the crucifixion of the flesh so that we can be crucified with Christ. You and me, we're in the same boat. And so look what happens here in chapter 3, uh, verse 16. 
So Moses numbered them according to the word or the mouth of the Lord. You see his obedience, the obedience that Moses has as he was commanded. These are the sons, uh, the, these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram, Ezehar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their families, uh, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites by their fathers' houses. From Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shimites. These were the families of the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of male of the males from a month old and above of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. So like you look at chapter one, those guys had babies. I mean, you have like, you know, 30,000, 40,000. So you look at the priesthood, they're not having a lot of babies, you know, because they're about the father's business. They're about God's business. You know, I mean, I mean, we're going to talk about that when, when Paul gets into, he starts talking about marriage, you know, and, you know, it's like, well, I'll just save it for, <laughs> I'll save it for later, but they're not having, a lot, <laughs> they're not having a lot, of, a lot of babies, you know, they're busy, they're doing the Lord's business, you know, they're, do you remember, and I reference this quite a bit, but I'm going to reference it again. But in Exodus 33, the Lord tells Moses, he says in verse 3, Exodus 33, verse 3, he tells Moses, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. Lest I destroy you is how it translates. The Lord is saying, I'm going to destroy you guys, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so Moses intercedes as a type of Christ. He intercedes, and all of a sudden, the Lord is with them. The Lord is going with them. Except now, there's blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice, because you see the Ten Commandments that are given the new, uh, in chapter 34, the new tablets. Now, there's the intermixing of blood sacrifice. You see? Symbolic of Jesus Christ. Remember, the, the Ten Commandments was given three times. Three times to Israel. Three times. The first time was verbally. The second time was the two tablets, which were destroyed. And the second time, or the third time, are the, the next set of tablets. You see? So three times the Ten Commandments were given. And so look what happens here. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 3. In verse uh, 22, they're not, you know, 7,500 babies. or, or I shouldn't say babies, but... Those in verse 22, those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. So they're not babies. They're, you know, there was, was a month old and above. But when you compare to chapter one, you see, you know, those guys are having babies like crazy. Look at the numbers 40,000, 30,000. In verse 23, the families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. So the Lord is establishing their, lo their location westward order you see how the lord is he's a god of order not a god of chaos in verse 24 and the leader of the fathers of the father's house of the gershonites was 
Eliasaph and the son of Leel. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings of the court which are around the tabernacle and the altar and their and their cords according to all the work relating to them. You see, so the Lord is giving instruction, order, the, the, the layout of the land, the, the, the layout of the camp, the, the the layout of the tribes, where their location is. If they're, you know, you look at chapter uh, uh, one and two and you see that, okay, these guys, this is the number and these guys are on the west side, the east side, the south side, but he does the exact same thing with the Levites. And not just, you know, the, the, their, their location, but also what their duties are in, in tabernacle. What their duties are. In chapter, uh, in verse 25 and 26, we start to see exactly what the duties are. Now we look at verse 27. From Kohath came the, came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Isharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohathites, according to the number of all the males from a month old and above. There were 8,600. So a little bit more from uh, the Gershonites, a little bit more. But still, in comparison to the entirety of the camp of Israel, the Levites, you know, they're about the Father's business. They're about the Father's business. And we're going to talk about this more when Paul starts discussing marriage, you know, and uh, sexual relations, you know. And he, he starts talking about this. And he'll, we're, we're going to expand on that more. Uh, but you see the numbers here. Uh, it, it says here there were 8,000 600. Now, something I have to say here. The Septuagint, manuscripts of the Septuagint, they say 8,300. So here in most translations say 8,600, but the Septuagint says 8,300. Remember that. Remember that. So he says, keeping charge of the sanctuary. In the Hebrew, this translates as preserving, protecting. What are they preserving and protecting? Kodesh is what the word is in the Hebrew. That's what they're protecting, Kodesh, which is a sacred and holy place. You see, and you have young, young males, a month old and above. Little kids who have just freshly learned how to walk. Little kids who have freshly learned how to walk. And what are they doing? Protecting and preserving Kodesh. If you're a parent... Let this be a great encouragement to you. Don't use youth as an excuse. Ah, oh, he's just two. Ah, oh, he's just three. Ah, oh, he's just four. Because you know what that turns into? He's just five. He's just six. He's just 20. He's just 30. That's what it turns into. Don't make excuses for youth. You know why? The carnal do that. They make excuses. And you know, look at what, how Paul encouraged young Pastor Timothy. You know, talking about his youth. You know, don't be discouraged by your, you know, uh, 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 don't be discouraged by your youth. And however young he was, however young he was, still a pastor in the church. Let no one despise your youth. Because yes, he was a young guy, young Pastor Timothy, a young guy. Oh, but strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord, strong in faith who sincerely cared for the people, just like Paul. Paul even said, there's nobody who cares for you like Timothy. 
There's nobody as like-minded who sincerely cares for your souls. That's the heart of a pastor. The heart of an elder. You see? To care for souls. Sometimes, you know, it's not, you know, you hear, you read the Word of God and you can't skip anything. You have to go through the Word of God because there's subject matter that we touch on and sometimes we, we've touched on it in our studies already, which are hardcore. I mean, sometimes they really, really hit hard. You know, I mean, we kind of touched on it today for, for men. You know, have regard for your seed. When you read it, like, what, what is he talking about? Have regard for the seed? You know, remember Hebrews 7, verse 9 and 10? The loins of Abraham had the, the Levitical priesthood. That the uh, Levi paid tithes. He wasn't even born yet. Because he was in the loins of Abraham. And, you know, men, I don't want to be crass in saying this. But a lot of men don't have regard for their seed. A lot of teenagers, teenage boys, don't have regard for their seed. You know, they become teenagers and all of a sudden they have all these, you know, emotions and, you know, whatever is going on inside the hormones and all these things. And their whole lives, you know, good old mom and dad. Good old mom and dad has been, you know, kind of... Uh, Neglecting his youth or kind of using his youth as an, an excuse. Ah, he's just two. You can't expect much from him. Ah, he's just five. You can't expect much from him. He's just ten. Eh, he's just ten. Let him be. He's just thirteen. Let him be. And as he's thirteen, all of a sudden his body's changing. His hormones are changing. And he's got this mentality. Oh, I'm just a kid. No big deal. And boom, it starts. All these things begin. Don't use youth as an excuse, oh parent. Don't use youth as an excuse. Be encouraged by the camp of Levi. Because you have these little tiny kids, you know, learning how to walk and all these things. And at the same time, they're learning how to walk, but then they're also protectors. They're also preservers of Kodesh, sacred things. And so look what happens here. In verse um, 29, the families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. So the Gershonites, in verse 23, were the, on the westward side. Then you have on the south side, you have the Kohathites. And so now in verse 30, and the leader of the father's, ho the father's house of the families of Kohathites was El Elizaphan, the, the son of Uziel. Their duty included the ark, the tabernacle, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So you see, the Lord, just like he did with the Gershonites, the Lord is laying out their location, their duties. And so let's go on here in verse 33. From Merari came the families of Melites and the families of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari and those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above were 6,200. Again, you know, in comparison to chapter one and those numbers pales, I mean, it's smaller. I mean, those numbers in chapter one, they, they far exceed these numbers. Here we just have the 6,200. It says in verse 35, the leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihel. 
these were to camp on the north side of the tab of the tabernacle. So again, the location, and now you know the duties in verse thirty-six, and the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, utensils, all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court all around, with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east side. So now we cover all sides now. In verse 23, we saw the west side. Verse 29, the south side. In verse 35, the north side. And then here in verse 38, the east side. Before the tabernacle of meeting were Moses, Aaron, and his sons. You see, keeping charge of the sanctuary. Again, preserving and protecting the sanctuary. You see, to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider, remember, this is the strange, profane, and adulterous. The outsider who came near was to be put to death. Remember, no mixture. Remember how we studied that in Leviticus? How I said, you know, to start to think of a mixture, how the Lord doesn't like a mixture. Remember, he says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out. Because what is warm? It's a mixture. The Lord doesn't like mixtures, certain mixtures. We saw that when he was, uh, the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints in Exodus. We see that in, in Leviticus, in our study in Leviticus, no mixture. And here we see the same reference, no mixture. It's holy people for holy things. Holy people for holy things. And the same thing applies today. Remember, friendliness with the world is enmity with God. Holy things for holy people and holy people for holy things. You say, wow, I'm not holy. Well, are you in Christ? No, I don't know Christ. Okay, let me tell you the good news. How much God loves you. How much He desires to be with you. How much He desires you to be in paradise. You with Him and Him with you. A physical, physical state. A physical station. But today, that's in the future. But today, we have to accept Him by faith. It's belief in Jesus Christ. You be born again. If you're listening and you're not a believer, you hit pause. I say this all the time, and I'm never going to get tired of saying it. You hit pause right now. You're going to have to scroll a little bit. Listen to a message that says, How to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you listen to that message, and you say this in your prayers, and you mean it in your heart. And you repent of the ways when you're married to the law and then you die to sin and you're alive in Christ and you're married to Christ betrothed to Christ if you're like what in the world was he talking about listen to our study from Romans 7 it's very important to understand these things remember the spirit of the Lord is going to be poured out in the last days and is already being poured out where sin abounds grace abounds much more I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you murdered, you're a prostitute, you're a crackhead. I could care less because you come to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You believe in Him. You receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And you are a Christian. And just like Aaron, this past is prologue. The past is over. The past is forgotten. So you're a crackhead. You're a prostitute. You're a stripper. You're, you know, a crackhead. I think I said that already. But whatever it is, 
sex head, sex, drugs, rock and roll, I could care less. But I know this, God loves you. God loves you. He has better things for you. He wants to have oneness with you. And when you are born again, when you believe in Jesus Christ, and I can call you my brother, I can call you my sister, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what color you are, I don't care about anything except your soul. I call you a brother, I call you a sister, we can rejoice in Christ. I don't care about your past. But I care about your future. You repent and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. And your Savior. And you know what? We're, we're off. We're off. Learn how to fight. Learn how to go fishing. Fishing for souls. You see? And just you look at the atrocities of Aaron. What we read in Exodus 32. What about the atrocities in your life? Aaron repented, and now look at him. You see, that's what's so beautiful about repentance. So you can, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, non-believers, they'll go to church because they want, oh, I'm going to attack the church. This pastor says this, so yeah, I'm going to attack him. You know, or, you know, this pastor says this, I'm going to, you know, attack, 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 attack. And that might be you. You might be listening, so I'm going to attack, 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 attack. That's fine. You can attack. But I still want you to know that God loves you. God loves you. I mean, in your place to have his son die for your sin, what kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? It's not of this world, it's heavenly. That's the love that God has for you. So, let's look at the east side now in verse 38. Moreover, those who were camped uh, uh, before the tabernacle on the east side, before the tab tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. All who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above were 22,000. Wow. That's a lot of Levites. 22,000. Not as much as the camp of Israel. But still, it's a lot of Levites. And little one-month-old boys. One-month-old boys and above. You see? Wow. You look at the war, like the, the, the entirety of the camp of Israel, including the Levitical priesthood. It's like, wow, this is so beautiful. Now, this totaling of the 22,000, this aligns perfectly. You remember in verse 28 when I said, remember the Septuagint figure? This aligns perfectly, the 22,000, it aligns perfectly with the Septuagint figure in verse 28. And I say that if you're listening and you're a King James only person, you know, that's for you. <laughs> the Septuagint. Everything aligns with this 22,000. And so look what happens here. This uh, in verse 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel. So not Levites. All these numbers that we've been looking at, they're the, the Levites. But now the Lord is telling him, number the children of Israel 
from a month old and above. So remember, now the, the census in chapter 1 was from age 20 and above. Now we're looking at the number of, of the, in the camp of Israel that are a month old and above. And take the number of their names or the telling of their names. Kind of like a list. He's saying, compile a list. In verse 41, And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. And you shall take the, take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So what's happening, you're seeing like a, um, kind of like a life for life. A life for life is what we're seeing here. And we're going to understand the purpose. We're going to see it here being laid out before us. So the Lord is taking, so the, the chapter one was age 20 and above. So now we're looking at one month old and above in the camp of Israel. Not the Levites, but Israel. So he says in verse 41, the Levites are for me, I am the Lord. And then he says, instead of the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. So Something I want to say, we're seeing very, very intricate instructions that are being given to Moses, very, to the minute detail. I mean, even like uh, certain tribes, you know, from Merari, uh, duties that they had in the, in, in the tabernacle, from Gershon, duties that they had, from Kohath, duties that they have in the tabernacle. Very, very specific details. Remember the blueprints that were given to Moses? You know, very on the type of cloth to use. Who were the artisans that can fashion certain things for tabernacle worship? Very, very specific to the minute detail. And you have to hearken back to an earlier instruction that he received, which was remove your sandals. <laughs> Remove your sandals. One of the very first instructions that Moses received from the Lord. There was another. But one of the very first instructions that Moses received from the Lord. Remove your sandals. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Now that's easy. You know, the Lord tells you remove your sandals. That's easy. What do you do? You remove your sandals. If you're obedient. If he tells you to do that, you, you do it. You know, and it's, I say that because before you run, you have to learn how to walk. You have to learn how to walk before you run. It's very important. Because sometimes a lot of Christians, it's like, boom, they're born again and they want to sprint for you. Like, just they're off. And praise the Lord. It's not to say that the Lord can't use that. I mean, look at Philip. Look at Philip. But don't forget that before Philip was an evangelist, he served at the tables. Don't forget they were like little baby steps. And before serving at the tables, he was like a, a new believer. But he had the Holy Spirit. He was of good report. He had the fruit of the Spirit. And because the fruit of the Spirit was evidence, the, the, the apostles told the church, they said, choose from among you seven men. Philip was one of them. And before Philip was an evangelist, he served in the tables. 
Don't neglect like, you know, minor duties, so-called minor duties in a church because they're big duties. You know, they're big tasks that the Lord has. Jobs that exist inside a church. You know, if in your heart of hearts, it's like, man, you know what? I want to help the pastor clean the church. Talk to the pastor. Talk to the pastor. Hey, pastor, can I help you? Can I help you do this? Can I help you do that? You know, let's do it together. You see? Praise the Lord. Remember, holy things for holy people. And, you know, before you can run, you have to learn how to walk. Let this be a great encouragement for brand new believers. Because you're a brand new believer, it's like a brand new baby. Born again. And when I say you have to learn how to walk before you can run, that's spiritually speaking. You know, there are 50-year-olds who are become born-again believers. And they're babies. And you can have like a 15-year-old, somebody who's been walking with the Lord for, you know, five years already and has matured in Christ and is maturing even further. So spiritually speaking, you can have a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old that is more mature than a 50-year-old or an 80-year-old. You see? But how beautiful it is when it happens. You see a brand new baby, brand new believer in Christ. They start to walk. You know? And they start to gallop and trot. And then boom, they start to run. You see it in Philip. Brand new believer. And all of a sudden, he's full of the Spirit. It's a good report. The fruit of the Spirit is evidenced. And then there's this problem that arises in the church. The apostles say... Choose from among you seven men. And not just seven men, not just warm bodies to fill a role. You know, that's what a lot of pastors do, and they make a mistake, a huge mistake. The Lord is not honored when that has happened, when that happens. Oh, we just need a warm body. Hey, you, you, you stand over here, you do this. Hey, you, you stand over here, you do this. You don't know what that guy's been doing. You don't know what that lady's been doing. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. You have no idea what it's not just a warm body that can do that. You see? Oh, pastor, pastor, can I help you clean the church? Well, you know, we got, let's talk about this thing in your life. Let's talk about, let's talk about things. You know, it's not that I'm saying no, but I'm saying not yet. Sometimes a pastor has to say that I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no. I'm saying not yet. Why? Because holy things are for holy people. So you mean taking out the trash in a church is holy? Yes. You mean vacuuming a church is holy? Yes. Above that, God's people. It's like, it's like serving in tables. You mean serving in tables is holy? Yes. For the people, look at the benefactors. Look at the vessels. Look at how the vessels were prepared. Stephen was there too. Stephen was prepared for his glory. Uh, Look, uh, look, I see see the Lord at the right hand of, of God. Look at what Stephen was prepared for. Look at what Philip was prepared for. You see? And so let's read on. In verse 
43. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, of those who were numbered, uh, numbered of them, were 22,273. 22, 22, so we look at in verse 39, there's 22,000. And so you see this number was 22,273. So what does that, just easy math equation, we have an overage of 273. That's what we have. What's happening here? Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites. Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. So this first part of verse 45, what do we see? We see the Levites and Israel. The Levites and Israel. Make this distinction. Levites and Israel. Remember, the Levites weren't counted in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 50. You shall appoint the Levites over the... Or in, uh, in verse 47, chapter 1, verse 47. The Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord, Lord has spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take the census of them among the children of Israel. So make this distinction from here on out. I should have said this a couple weeks ago. Sorry. <laughs> from, <laughs> from here on out, make this, this, make this distinction of the Levites and Israel. Okay? From here on out. And I'll, I'll, I'll constantly make mention of it. But make this distinction in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Make this distinction because you're going to see something beautiful as we continue through the Old Testament. You know, something different about the Levites. And then something, sometimes the Levites, sometimes the priesthood, they get off into crazy town too. And you see the Lord, how He responds. Remember, He is reactionary. Reactionary. But you're going to see like differences between Israel and the Levites. And then, you know, further on, you're going to see differences between Israel and Judah and the Levites, the priesthood. And you're going to see when everything goes south, everything goes wrong. And then 400 years of silence, a son is born. A son is born. Love comes down in the form of a child. You see, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow you away. So there's this overage of 273. In verse 44, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites and take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. So Levites in Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. In verse 46, and for the redemption. So you see what's happening here? You see the priesthood, the Levites as redeeming for Israel. You know, think about the high priest in the order of Melchizedek and how he redeems not just Israel, but sojourners, which are the Gentiles. I mean, when you understand that and you make these distinctions, we're going to read prophecy, Old Testament and New Testament and understand these promises which apply to Israel, which apply to the church, which apply to the remnant. Because you have to make these distinctions. Israel and the for now, Israel and the Levites. And in future books, Israel, Judah, and the Levites. And then, you know, then he enters in kings. Remember Samuel, when the people wanted a king? And the Lord told Samuel, Samuel, give them a king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so Samuel gave them Saul. And then you have the beginning of, now you introduce kings. 
And you have good kings and bad kings. You have bad priests, you have good priests. And then when everything goes bad, what happens? The Lord knocks on the heart. Isaiah, you know, I called, but no one listened. I called, but no one answered. But you, Isaiah, I called and you answered. Let's have this conversation. Isaiah, I want you to do this. Jeremiah, you see? Amos. And then Amos even says, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. The Lord says, Amos, you're a prophet. You're my prophet. I'm going to use you. You see, and everything pointing to Jesus Christ, the promised son, the promised lamb, the promised sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he surely did. And it was pleasing that he was bruised for our iniquity. At the time you read the account in the Gospels, you read the account of the cross and it's devastating. I, I, mean, I love reading it because it just blows up my faith, but I also hate reading it because of Lord. But then from that moment on, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, to today, look at all the heirs of Abraham, a blood-bought people. You know? And you see, wow, Lord, I get it. It was pleasing to you. And it is pleasing to you. So let's look at verse 46. And for the redemption, so you see this redeeming attribute of the priesthood unto Israel. And for the redeeming of redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of, of the children of Israel. Remember, there was the overage of 273. So like in verse 43, you, you basically, basically take verse 43 minus verse 39. The, the 22,273 minus 22,000. And this 22,000 figure, uh, that correlates with the Septuagint. For, you know, little asterisk there, you know, uh, for my uh, King James only friends. Septuagint equates into this holy equation, is factored into this holy equation. So there's this overage of 273 in verse 46, who are more than the number of the Levites. You shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of the 20 geras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So what's happening here? What's happening here? You're seeing a little picture in Numbers chapter 3. Of how there is redemption upon a small remnant. The overage. 273. There's redemption for this little tiny remnant in the camp of Israel. So Moses in verse 49. Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the, Le by the Levites. So the parents of the 22,000. Uh, the 23,000 who were redeemed by the 22,000 of the priesthood. So remember, so you take verse 43 minus verse 39 and, you know, you have, so it's the, the 22,000 of the Levites. So 22,000 of Israel, they were redeemed by the Levites. So you have this overage of 273. But in verse 49, you see that there's, you know, the, those, the, the parents of those who were uh, redeemed, the 22,000, their parents 
had to pay. In verse 49, so Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took money 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So you take the 1,365 divided by five, remember, five shekels in verse 47, and what do you have? 273 that would blow you away, especially prophetically thinking, prophetically speaking. These theories, they would blow you away, but I will not teach them. Maybe I'll teach them, you know, depending on, you know, how things pan out, depending how things things pan out. And I'm speaking very last daisy, very prophetically speaking, you know, in terms of the 70th week of Daniel. Once the 70th week of Daniel begins, which we're going to have a hunch it begins when it actually begins, the church will have a hunch. But we're not going to know this. We're not going to know with biblical definitive proof that the 70th week has started until we get further towards the middle of the 70th week. Once that happens, then I'll start sharing some of these math equations. Then I'll start sharing some of these theories. But for now, they're just theories. You see, so... Let's continue. And the reason why I don't teach them, it's not to say like, I hate you. I'm going to restrict this from you. Because sometimes people get off in the crazy town. You know, they start going doing these uh, extra biblical theories, beyond biblical theories. And the Lord wants me to teach the Bible. I have to teach the Bible. But, you know, once, once it's definitive proof that the man of sin is revealed in accordance with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's on like Donkey Kong. I mean, we're going to be fighting... Spiritually speaking, we're fighting now, but we're going to be fighting like crazy. Now, if you're pre-tribulation, you know, just when you're done with this message, uh, scroll. You're going to have to scroll for a while, but look for a message that says, uh, when is the rapture? It's kind of long, but it goes through some details, biblical like passages and details on things. You know, we're living in crazy times where even pastors, very famous, well-known pastors are saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast. If you don't make the rapture and, and you become a Christian during the, uh, during the uh, 70th week of Daniel, then you can take the mark of the beast and your eternal security is secure. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that at all. And from this particular pastor, so-called pastor, there's been no repentance. No official recant of that statement. Just the, just the opposite, doubling down of the statement. So, let's continue. In verse 51, in closing, And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. You see, obedience unto the Lord. Obedience unto the Lord. Now I have to say something too in closing about the Moses model. There's this very popular belief of what's called the Moses model of like a church following one guy. 
But that misnomer, it's unbiblical. Because look at what the Lord is providing. Look at what the Lord has provided. I mean, we looked at Exodus 32, uh, verse... um, Exodus 32, verse 26, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. That's what Moses said. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And then what happens? How the Lord does this mighty, mighty, mighty work. Repentance happens. The Levites start to emerge. You see, Moses isn't alone. The Lord has provided Aaron, his sons, the Levitical priesthood, which were in the loins of Abraham. And this whole time, the Lord has been has been providing and has provided and will provide, which we're going to study even more. But remember, the Lord is reactionary. But there's this concept of the Moses model, the Moses model, which is, you know, everybody follows one guy. But in accordance, biblically speaking, with the Moses model, It aligns perfectly with the New Covenant and the New Testament. It aligns perfectly. Why? Because look at the Christians that emerged in the early church. Look at not just the Christians, but look at what happened as they grew, as they matured. Philip. He became an evangelist. Look at Timothy. He became a pastor. Titus became a pastor. So you say, is Paul alone? No, Paul's not alone. Is Peter alone? No, Peter's not alone. But biblically speaking, in accordance with the Moses model, so-called Moses model, or I should say biblically speaking, in accordance with the Moses model, the Lord provided. The Lord provided Aaron, the Levites, elders. You see, the Lord provided. Now, if you're a pastor, let the Lord provide your co-pastors. Let the Lord provide your elders. Let the Lord provide and pray because He will, just as He did with Moses, just like He did in the early church. He will. A big problem happens when, you know, instead of following the biblical model, a lot of pastors like to use a business model and look at like promotion. Oh, I want my son to be co-pastor. I want my son to be elder. And I want my other son to be an elder. And I want my other son to be an elder. That's a, that's, a, that's a worldly business model. Biblically speaking, where are the godly? Where are the godly? Where are the men of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Pray for them. Pray that the Lord raise them. Let them serve in ministries. You see? And I think it's so beautiful how the Lord is providing for the camp of Israel. Why? Because His desire is for the people to be right with Him. Because they're going to the promised land. Old Testament, they're going to the promised land. Eternally speaking, they, along with us, we're going to the promised land. You see? We're going to the promised land. Paradise. And that all comes through Jesus Christ and walk with Him the way the truth, and the life. God bless you guys. Love you guys.